Hello, and welcome to episode 83 of the Decarceration Nation podcast, a podcast about radically reimagining America's criminal justice system. I'm Josh O. Among other things, I'm formerly incarcerated, a freelance writer, a criminal justice reform advocate, and the author of the book, Writing Your Own Best Story, Addiction and Loving Hope. We'll get to my interview with Caitlin Owens in just a minute, but first, the news. Well, I guess the biggest news on my end is that my interview with Amanda Knox came out last week. If you've not heard it yet, you can find it on the Crime Story podcast page, and I will include a link in the show notes. When I was in prison in Michigan, uh, she was in prison in Italy, and so in a weird kind of way, I did follow what was going on with her, uh, and it was really interesting to talk with her, and I I hope you all get a chance to check it out. I, I thought it was a really good interview. She was interviewing me. Uh, and it was, it was, I really enjoyed it. One of the main projects I've been working on over the last year has been a package of expungement bills that could, could make it easier for hundreds of thousands of formerly incarcerated Michiganders to clear their criminal records after they have remained crime-free for a number of years. Just a few days ago, the package passed one of its biggest tests, its highest hurdles, as it was given the thumbs up by the Senate Judiciary Committee here in Michigan. Keep your fingers crossed that the full Senate will pass the bill when they return from summer break in July. Several months ago, I was invited as a guest to CPAC, which is the largest gathering of conservatives in the United States every year. As you might remember, CPAC happened right at the start of the COVID outbreak. As all of you know, I very much believe that criminal justice reform is a bipartisan concern, and I was very flattered to be one of the few progressives invited to the conference. Anyway, let's get to my interview with Caitlin Owens of the American Conservative Union Foundation about dignity legislation. This will be the first of my two interviews from CPAC 2020. Caitlin Owens is a policy analyst for the American Conservative Union Foundation's Nolan Center for Justice. In this role, she researches and writes on a number of different topics, addresses injustice in the criminal justice system, prison conditions, transition after release, and ways to reduce recidivism rates. However, her main area of focus is the ACUF's Dignity for Incarcerated Women campaign. This effort, led by ACUF, seeks to address the unique needs of women in our federal justice system by ensuring health needs are met and human dignity is maintained throughout the system. Welcome to the Decarceration Nation podcast, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I always ask the same first question. How did you get from where you started out to working at ACUF and on criminal justice issues? Good question. Um, So I interned with CPAC right um, out of college. So I graduated in 2016 of December and moved right into D.C. um, in January and um, I made friends with David Safavian, who you've spoken with, um, and he and I just clicked. Um, and I honestly, I didn't hear criminal justice reform. Um, I heard criminal justice, and honestly, it was just a way to stay in DC. Um, and so I took it, um, and I slowly realized that I had been living a life of the tough on crime kind of generation, as you would say. Um, a lot of it is just from my parents, you know, being very. Um, staunch Republicans, uh, but I slowly began to educate myself on what is really going on in our prison system. Um, just you know, the nonviolent offenses that we you know put people in prison for uh, just don't make a lot of sense. Especially, you know, as conservatives, we care about where our taxpayer dollars are going, um, and so locking people up for a long period of time just doesn't make sense. Um, and so I slowly. 
began to realize uh, you don't have to be tough on crime. Smart on crime is the best way, um, and it's really not even soft on crime. Um, you know, we're still holding people accountable, and that's really what matters, just not for long periods of time. So uh, that's how I've gotten here. As someone who has two conservative parents as well, I mm-hmm. <laughs> totally can yep. uh, understand that, that pathway. Uh, so we're here at CPAC, and so uh, would you like to say anything about CPAC or about kind of the, the criminal justice aspects of the conference? Yeah, sure. So CPAC is unlike any conference I've ever been to, one, because it's huge. It um, is gigantic. <laughs> um, but two, I have noticed, um, and other people may notice something different, but I noticed two separate kind of people. It's the older generation and the college generation, the millennials. Um, And so how criminal justice really comes into it is the tough on crime and the smart on crime folks. Um, And so bringing them together and really educating them on criminal justice reform um, is really fun to watch, you know, kind of them interact and learn. Um, And this year we have um, a virtual reality um, going through prison, speaking about uh, real-life people that went through the system as juveniles, um, and really hearing the testimony of them. Um, I think putting a story into words and actually living that out or seeing it, you know, through our virtual reality just makes it more real, um, and that's obviously what we want. So... um Way too often when we talk about kind of criminal justice reform or about incarceration, uh, we end up talking mostly about men. Because exactly. uh, there's just so many more men in the system, unfortunately. But a lot of the work you've been doing is a lot more about women in prison. So could you talk a little bit more about the differences and kind of what you've learned in that process? Yeah, of course. Um, so right when I started um, working um, at... Uh, ACU with criminal justice reform, I really dove into the women uh, incarcerated uh, issue. And I really started to notice that there's so many things that, you know, um, that women don't uh, get provided, such as feminine hygiene products, which is so simple and a basic need um, that men don't have to think about. Um, So that's a different aspect. When they're pregnant um, and if they're still incarcerated, going through labor and delivery shackled, um, which is just mind-boggling, you know? This is a human being that we're strapping to a gurney, um, and she's in pain. Um, And then also solitary confinement when she's pregnant. Um, That can deal, that can hurt, you know, um, her mental aspect, that can hurt the child. And if we're pro-life, you know, generation or pro-life conservatives, why are we harming, putting harm to, you know, the unborn child? So, um, those are some of the things that we um, address uh, with ACU and Dignity, and we've done it in multiple states. I think it's 15 and counting. Virginia just actually passed unanimously yesterday, so we're super proud about that. But, um, yeah, this is a you know huge issue, and like you said, I mean, prisons weren't designed for women. They were designed for men, um, and a, not a lot has changed since then, and it's really just treating human beings like human beings. Um, and when you think about that and, you know, put a name with, a, you know, put a face with a name, um, it becomes more real. So. so do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the politics? You just said you passed a, a recent, very recent bill mm-hmm. uh, in, was it Virginia, am mm-hmm. I right? Yep. And uh, do you want to talk about like kind of how that happened and kind of yeah. how people came together to make yeah, that sure. happen? So something that I will note is 
especially in this day and age, you know, just um, with politics now, it's very rare that uh, we, you know, we as conservatives uh, can come together with, you know, liberals and Democrats. But this issue is super um, easy to do that. Um, so about three years ago in 2017, uh, a delegate, Kay Corey, from Virginia passed a feminine hygiene bill. Um, and I actually just called her up after uh, she passed it and thanked her. And she's a Democrat. Um, and she and I began a close relationship. Uh, we, stand, we stayed in touch for over these three years. And she said, all right, Caitlin, she called me up this past session and said, I think it's time. I want to do, you know, I want to prohibit shackling while pregnant. Um, and I want to ensure that uh, there's visitation rates uh, with minor children and mothers because that's super important. I want to make sure that the baby doesn't just leave the mother after she's born or he's, he or she is born. Um, so, you know, similar things like that. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so we uh, called up our friends from Cut 50 um, and said, hey, we have a, a delegate that is super um, – Excited to run this uh, legislation through, um, and we got some great Republicans on board, uh, Delegate Nick Freitas and John McGuire, and it passed unanimously yesterday. So, uh, congratulations! It's really about you know just making those relationships beforehand. And what have you learned uh, in the process of making those relationships over the time you've been working on this that other people might be able to use to like when they're starting to have these discussions in their own states? Yeah, I think, one, you really need someone on the uh, ground, uh, whether it's um, someone local or in D.C. You really just need to make sure that you um, have the right people in place that can say the right things. Um, And every state's different. Um, So what I would say to people that, you know, want to do this in their state is, one, um, you know, find a grassroots organization, whether it's a state policy network, um, whether it's ACLU. Um, really, pe- a lot of people can come together on this. The second thing I'll say is you really have to know what you want to do before you ask, uh, you know, a delegate or a representative or a senator to introduce it. So uh, you can't just come in blind. Um, it's not going to work. It's not going to pass. Um, and you also have to have uh, support of... Um, or at least let them know, the Department of Corrections, sheriffs, all of that, because they'll more than likely oppose it if they're not brought in earlier. And with some of these shackling uh, kind of considerations, have you had to, how have you been able to work with Departments of Corrections to get around some of that? Because usually, in my experience, they aren't generally very excited about making changes to security procedures. I think um, before we say this is wrong, this is right kind of thing, we just simply ask questions on what their policy is currently because, again, every state's different. Um, The second thing we do is bring them statistics. So from the American Medical Association, uh, the obstetrician gynecologist department, um, they have you know, put out statistics and studies saying that this is not humane and this is going to hurt her or her unborn child. So um, we have statistics, but then we also um, we also say, you know, go to them and say, look, like when they're in labor and delivery, um, 
shackling should be a last resort. If the nurse or doctor says, yes, they need shackles or they're a flight risk, then yes, shackle them. Uh, But to the greatest extent possible, we shouldn't do that. Um, And then I think a lot of the times they we have to give, depending on the state, whether it's, you know, a red state or a blue state, sometimes we have to give on, you know, not on shackling up until they're in labor and delivery. So even if they're pregnant, you know, there comes a certain time where we'll say, okay, now let's stop. Yeah, I find it, I mean, I obviously have personally never given birth, but I find it pretty amazing that anyone would think that Someone was a flight risk in the middle of trying exactly. to give birth. There's no, oh. there's no story saying that. Yes, she jumped off the gurney <laughs> mid, you know, delivery. So um, I haven't uh, heard it yet. Yet, knock on wood. Yeah, I, that would be that'd be uh, some superpower stuff. I think right that'd there, be like I a think. front front headline news. Yeah, are you? I, I read. I think that you all are. Uh, working on so pro- some probation reform stuff in Pennsylvania. Do you want to talk about that yeah, a little bit? Yeah, so um, Representative uh, Cheryl DeLosier, who's a Republican, and uh, Representative uh, Jordan Harris, who's a Democrat. I had a funny feeling Jordan Harris was going to be the second name in that. <laughs> yes. Frequently known as the dynamic well, duo. The, the, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, um, I actually met them in Kentucky um, at the at, um, an organization's uh, gala, and uh, they work super well together, so um, yeah, probation and um, proba- the probation reform um, got introduced in both the House and the Senate. Uh, we think it's probably going to move more in the House, but um, right now we're just waiting for uh, you know some representatives to kind of push the bill. Um, but you know, getting uh, testimony there, getting formally incarcerated um, to tell their stories. It, again, really humanizes, uh, you know, what's wrong um, and what's right in the legislation process. So um, we're getting there. And what are the, do you have any particular goals you're hoping to get out of that legislation or things that you're trying to change fundamentally in the process? Yeah, of- I would say one, the, the probably the biggest thing is, uh, you know, our goal is not to have so many people on probation for long periods of time. I met, I met this man who was amazing he was formerly incarcerated and he is still on probation after 17 years you know why um statistics show that after i think two years um of being on probation you're probably not going to recidivate you know um and so it just amazed me that he had to he has to jump through hoops and all this stuff to you know just travel to see his family um across state lines so and that costs the state a lot of money exactly it it totally does um you have to get special permission all of that um so i mean that's probably the main goal y'all are also working on some second chance legislation in north carolina is that right we are so i'm actually not um a part of that uh my coworker patrick plain is um he's been doing great work that's actually a omnibus bill so that uh, that has women incarcerated um legislation in that as well so we're excited about that Cool. And you and I both worked uh, for a while on trying to get the first step back passed. Uh, would you like to talk about where you think uh, our kind of the implementation is right now and uh, what you you know what you thought of that process? Yeah. So this was, you know, I hit the ground running uh, when I started out um, at ACU with First Step. I really saw how the legislative process worked um, on the federal level, which is very different from state level. Um, it is the first step of hopefully many steps, uh, but, you know, it was the first um, 
you know, true criminal justice uh, reform bill that passed and, you know, over a generation. And, you know, we were super excited about that. I know you were as well. So um, it's been a long time coming. I'm so happy to see all of these, you know, folks being released um, and have a second chance at life. That's super important. I'm, I really commend uh, President Trump for signing it, um, you know, for his leadership on that, especially with Jared Kushner behind him. Um, but, yeah, we hope more will come. And do you have any personal thoughts on what you'd like to see in maybe a possible second step? Everyone's kind of been asking this since we're a little over a year since the... Yeah, um, I really want to see um, more work on the reentry side. Um, we really need to give uh, these folks that are coming out, because 95% of you know folks will be coming out eventually, um, and what are we doing? We're just letting them out with no tools, no education, you know, not a lot of training on how to interact with folks. And so uh, this past November, we had a prison CPAC inside prison um, and really spoke to them about, you know, what are the tools you need? We had um, a body language expert come inside and say, look, you know, if you're slouching, you know, if you um, have your hands crossed, like all of these things are body language cues. Um, And so for someone to come in and actually care about them and, you know, show, and this wasn't just prison CPAC, you know, it happens um, all the time. We, we have people come in and mentor them and all of that. But to have someone come in and, you know, show love and show respect because they're human beings too is super important. So I really want to see reentry um, be a huge uh, next step uh, as the next step of first step. Makes a lot of sense. Um... So I talked with uh, David about this a little bit yesterday, too. We're in a situation right now, and you may or may not have a lot of thoughts about this, uh, where in the last two months, approximately 19 people have died in the Mississippi prison system. Uh, you know, I'm just asking everybody what their thoughts are on that, and so I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, any- I mean, it's horrible. Um, I was actually supposed to go down with um, some folks um, and just really investigate what's been going on. Um, It's uncalled for. It's unjust. um, And, you know, they they aren't just victims. I mean, now it affects their families on the outside. Um, And so we really need, you know, more, more boots on the ground. We really need to focus on these people's lives behind bars because just because they're behind bars doesn't mean they're less of a human being. Um, and so, you know, I would just pray that, you know, they had others that love them and, you know, just prayed for their, their peace. Yeah, so, you know, I was really excited when David asked me to come here because, uh one of the things I really like about the criminal justice reform space is it's one of the few areas where all of us can still kind of be friends. <laughs> we right. live in this really polarized society where Definitely. even saying, you know, the other, you know, if I say Trump, people are going to, you know, yep. or if someone says Pelosi, the world's going to collapse. And we're all actually in this space pretty much get along <laughs> and actually get a lot of work done. And, you know, it's kind of, there's a part in the back of my head that wishes the rest of the world was a little bit like that, too. Yes. Uh, and I was just wondering uh, what your thoughts were on kind of working in this kind of unique space in this kind of unique political moment. For, yeah. Um, well, I think it's a breath of fresh air. One. Two, I love working with both sides. Um, I have really come 
to understand what the other side, and by other side I mean the left because I didn't grow up that way, you know, how they think. And it's not, it's it's just another way to get to our same end goal. You know, we all want the same thing. It's just how to get there may be different. And so coming together and having a conversation, you know, with a conservative and, you know, um, someone on the left, uh, whether it's... Um, whether, you know, it's someone in the administration or someone, you know, in the Senate. Um, I think we can't do work without doing that and having these conversations. So um, I think that's super important, and I, I honestly enjoy it. Yeah, me too. And uh, speaking of, I think I mentioned David a couple of minutes ago, uh, you know, in all the work that I've done across the country and in my own state, pretty much every time anything's happening, somehow David turns up. And so uh, we're talking talk about David Safavian uh, from the American Conservative Union Foundation. And he, last week, he got a pardon from the president. And I will not lie, I, did a, I, I actually danced a jig in my office. <laughs> and so I just wanted to ask how you all were feeling about uh, you know, the good news last yeah, week. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. Um, I'm so happy for him. Uh, he actually... Pulled Patrick, um, my coworker, and myself into his office right when we got into work, um, and said that the administration called him about ten o'clock last, you know, the night before, and uh, he was like, I, "You guys are the first to know uh, a press release is about to come out," and he could not stop beaming. Um, and so now to see both, um, you know, my boss Pat Nolan um, get got a year ago, mm-hmm, yeah. yep. Uh, get that clemency and now uh, David get pardoned uh, is super exciting. So One of the things that was frustrating to me in watching the kind of the press coverage of what happened after that is that it was almost totally missed that four people who are currently incarcerated got commuted. Right. Uh, two women for drug charges, one woman for Medicare fraud, and of course we did hear about Rod Blagojevich. Right. Uh, did you have any thoughts about... I think one thing that was really exciting about it is, as I understand it, there was a, a small group of people outside of the DOJ who came together to start to recommend new, uh, cl- new commutations, uh, which is something a lot of experts have asked for for a really long time. So I was wondering if, you know, maybe you had some thoughts about what had happened there. Yeah, no. Um, so someone coming tomorrow, Alice Marie Johnson, who uh, Trump, uh, you Good know, granted, yeah. Yeah, granted clemency to, uh, she was incarcerated with those four individuals. Um, and so she knows them personally. Um, and anyone who knows Alice Marie uh, knows she's the most sweetest uh, person ever. Um, and so she had, you know, the highest things to say. And I think that she really did a good job of bringing, you know, their stories to light just because they were overshadowed. Um, one thing I'll say about this administration, you know, whether you hate him or love him, um, he really does hear people out. And so I really applaud him for listening to that group of people. Um, and, you know, again, just uh, realizing that they're human beings, you know, they make mistakes just like us. You know, I don't want to be known for the worst mistake I did. Um, and I still get second chances. Um, so, Well, I know I'm really hopeful that whoever a president is, that right. they'll start really caring about, you know, the folks that, you know, that, that I mean, we know for a fact, you know, from un, unam- just huge amounts of evidence that people change over time. Exactly. And that I'm, I'm always hopeful that more and more people get commutations as it becomes apparent that they're, you know, they've done what's necessary to come home. Yeah, and I hope that governors also take the lead on that too, you know, um, 
just because it's not just the president who can do it. It's governors as well in the state. So I hope that they uh, take a lead on it as well. Absolutely. Uh, I always ask the same last question. What questions should I have asked but didn't? What did I miss? Oh, man. Uh, what state are you going to work in next? <laughs> um, ACU, uh, we are a very small team of four mm-hmm. uh, on the criminal justice side. Um, and so we are all hands on deck. Um, I use my interns all the time. Um, and I'm sure they hate me at the end of the, <laughs> the internship. But um, we are working in a number of states. Although I bet they have a lot of experience. At the they end do. <laughs> yes, they do. They can never say they don't. Uh, but we are working in, you know, a number of states right now. But one state I'm really looking forward to working in is Michigan, actually. So, I've heard it's an okay place. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you may know something about it. Yeah. But yeah, thank well, you so much good. for. Hopefully, we'll be uh, running into each other yes, then. Yes, definitely. In, back yeah. in my home state. Now yeah. that I'm here in D.C. for this. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's David's home state too, so I'm yeah. sure he's going to take the lead on it. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time in the middle of this crazy, uh, like 20,000 people or something. Anything to talk about criminal justice (laughs) reform. I'm totally down to do it. But thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you again. Bye-bye. And now, my take. I want to take this opportunity to thank Robert Alvarez for helping the podcast as a volunteer over the last few years. Robert contacted me out of the blue close to two years ago because he was looking for a new challenge and wanted to help out on a podcast that he liked about criminal justice reform. One of my favorite memories of Robert will always be when he decided to join me in New York City last year for the Smart on Crime Innovations Conference hosted by the Center for American Progress. Anyway, Robert was responsible for our current website, for our Patreon page, and for the look and design of our newsletter. He interviewed me uh, for one of our Patreon series, Decarceration Nation on Patreon. He created our current logo, and he was really always helpful whenever I needed help. Unfortunately, Robert is leaving to pursue a passion project of his own, and we will miss him dearly. His cheerful and helpful personality will be missed, as will his talent for web design. We'll really, really miss him a great deal. I want to wish him great luck in all his future endeavors, including, of course, his pending wedding. Robert, thanks again for all the help. We will really miss you. As always, you can find the show notes or leave us a comment at decarcerationnation.com. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can do so from patreon.com slash decarcerationnation. For those of you who prefer a one-time donation, you can now go to our website and give a one-time donation. All of the money we raise from Patreon and from other donations goes directly to our volunteers. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review from iTunes or like us on Stitcher or Spotify. Special thanks to Andrew Stein, who does the editing and post-production to me. One last time to Robert Alvarez, who helps with the website. And to Kate Summers, who is helping with her Instagram and Facebook pages and will be taking over many of the tasks that Robert has done in the past. Make sure and add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and share our posts across your networks. Also, thanks to my employer, Safe and Just Michigan, for helping to support the Decarceration Nation podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Decarceration Nation podcast. See you next time.